Good morning. Bye, bye. I invite everyone to turn to Matthew 21, verses 1 to 11. Now, when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. And this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle, and riding in the donkey. The colt, the fall, and the donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. to the son of David. Son of David. Bless us the who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Thank you, children and family, for those words telling the story and the words of praise. Let's back up a little, though. She was just 12 years old. and She was very sick, far too young to die. Her parents were really worried about her. They had tried everything they could think of to help her get well. Nothing seemed to work. Her dad was even the leader in the meeting place, and so he had connections. And still, she just kept getting worse. But her dad knew this new teacher, this new healer. And so after thinking about it for a while, talking with his wife, he decided, I'm going to go and ask him to heal my daughter. We don't know for sure if she knew Jesus, but she might have known him as well. So the dad goes to see Jesus and falls down before him and says, please come and heal my daughter. And Jesus goes with him. But on the way, you know this story, another incredible story of faith. He's with a crowd of people and... On the sidelines, there's a woman who's had a hemorrhaging problem for 12 years. And this has not only been painful and inconvenient, etc., but this caused her to be ostracized. She couldn't meet at the temple and worship with the other people. So not only was she suffering, but she was lonely. And she also had tried everything. She had gone to all the doctors, and she had used up all her money, and still she had the problem. But she thought, if I could just touch his garment, just grab a hold of his robe, I would be healed. And so she works her way through the crowd and touches the hem of his garment. And he feels the energy come out of him. And he says, who touched me? And his disciples are, who touched you? You're surrounded by a crowd of people, Master. You're asking us who touched you? 
And the woman, she just carefully comes up and goes in front of him. And he says, woman, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace. You can imagine how joyous she was then. She not only was healed, but she could go be with her friends. She could worship in the temple with her family again. But in the meantime, this has cost, this has cost time. The little girl, the 12-year-old, is getting worse and worse and worse. And she may be wondering, where is Jesus? Maybe her mother is wondering, what is happening? Why is he taking so long? Any of us who have been with sick children and tried all that we can to no avail, we know what it's like. And sometimes we wonder, why? Why is Jesus not healing healing them right away? Why are we waiting? And then the bad news comes to Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. Your daughter has dead, is dead. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus says, don't be afraid. Just believe. So let's look and read together Mark 5, where he records the story. And let's read together verse 41 and 42, where after Jesus has gotten to the home and he has told the mourners to go outside and that she is just sleeping and they're kind of laughing at him. But then he goes into the room with just the mother and the father and his close disciples. And then it says in verse 41, he took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. And he goes on to say that he, she says, he says to give her something to eat. He wants them to know this isn't a spirit here. This is flesh and blood. They're so excited that she has been raised from the dead. They can't believe it. She's back to them. And she's even better than before. But she needs her physical needs taken care of. She needs something to eat. She's been hungry for a long time. And now let's fast forward or skip to the day when Jesus rides into Jerusalem. The gospel writers don't tell us the names of the people that were there in the crowd, but I imagine that she was there. I imagine that she was one of the children saying, Hosanna in the highest and waving those palm branches, just like the kids did this morning. She had been given new life. And I'm sure many of those who had been healed that they could walk now, they could see, they could be with their families, they could be the person that they were meant to be, that they were waving the palm branches and shouting and gladly taking off their cloaks to make a royal pathway for Jesus. I've never been close to death, but I have suffered with migraine headaches ever since I was a kid. And I would sometimes joke with my husband that when they're over, it feels like I'm back in the land of the living. <laughs> sometimes it feels like you're, you're going to die. If you're not, you wish you would. But anyway, I, there's such a when they're gone, when I wake up and it's gone and life is back to normal again, it's like I have new life again. So I want you to wonder with me, if you would, 
what it would have been like for you if you had been there that day. And since we don't have visuals at the moment, feel free to close your eyes and just think about that scene where Jesus is riding on the donkey and you're there, you're one of the crowd. Would you have been praising Jesus because he had healed you or someone you love? Maybe he had saved someone you love from what seemed to be certain death. Or because he helped you become who you were meant to be when you were formed in the womb of your mother. And he helped you become that person. Or maybe you'd be praising because you had experienced forgiveness and you had new life, not just physical life, but you had new life. Would you be the type of person that was waving the palm branches and shouting? Or would you be the person that just took off your cloak and laid it down for the ride to give a semblance of royalty entering your city? What would it have been like to be there that day? Thinking on, when Jesus got to the temple... It tells a story in Matthew 21, continuing on in Matthew 21. Let's look at verse 14 through 16. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise? Does that sound familiar to you this morning? We just read it, didn't we? In Psalm 8. Jesus verified the importance of children praising and who they were praising. In Psalm 8, verse 1 and 2, Our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. The praise of children is not just to be tolerated. It's to be encouraged and fostered and promoted. It is powerful, and it is needed to silence the foe. But, and so the enemy doesn't like that at all. He wants to do all he can to discourage the children. He will discourage and distract them with all sorts of things. Games, fights, rumors, jealousies, confusing stories. And he'll do all he can to distract and discourage the parents and the leaders. The list goes on and on for us, too. Ah, Work, illness, frustrations. But Jesus reminded the leaders that day, and then he continues to remind us whenever necessary, that our Lord has ordained the praise of children. As I said earlier, I'm so grateful to God's leading and to the people in the hands that he uses. 
for our adventurers this morning. And I was thrilled to see them there. But I just got to tell you also about this dream I had last night. And it was the adventurer's Sabbath, and the kids were here, and there were also lots of other kids. And I'm like, who are these kids? Where did they come from? I don't know. But I thought it was a, an interesting gift that I think one day there will be more and more kids coming, and our churches will be filled to bursting. And we'll wonder, where do these kids come from? You know, but the word will spread that when they come, they meet Jesus, that they learn to be close to Jesus and to praise him. For the next few days, Jesus taught many things that were difficult for the religious leaders to hear. And many people, many, many people were listening after such a splashy entrance. So he had not only the crowd there, but then he had the temple leader, the religious leaders too. And he told several parables. You'll remember them, the one of the two sons, where the father tells his sons to go and work in the vineyard. And one of them says, I'm not going to go work in the vineyard. But then he does. And then the other one says, I'll go. But then he doesn't. And then Jesus said, who did the father's will? And then the parable of the tenants where the landlord rented off, he, he built a vineyard and he, he, he gave it to tenants to, to manage for him. And then he sent his servants to check on it and the tenants killed the servants. And then he finally sent his son. He said, they'll take care of my son. They'll respect my son. And they didn't. They killed his son. And then the parable of the wedding banquet, where this fabulous banquet was spread out. And the people that were invited didn't want to come. They were too busy. They were doing something or other. They couldn't be bothered. It's no wonder, I think, that the Pharisees got so upset with, with Jesus and what he was teaching at that time. And they were offended, and they looked for ways to trap him or arrest him. And he taught his disciples about the last days and the coming of the Son of Man. And once again, he taught with parables. The parable of the ten virgins and the parable of the talents. And I think the the disciples then were wondering, you know, when is all this going to come to pass? And he talked to them about the second coming and the final days and all. But the next events were not what they expected at all. The triumphal entry they had just celebrated, it didn't lead to the triumph his followers were looking forward to, as we know, at the end of the week. But we are very fortunate this coming week as we begin to enter into the mystery of the meaning of the Last Supper and Christ's sacrifice. Unlike the disciples on that Thursday night and that Friday night, we know about resurrection morning. Let's begin today to come close again to the mystery of Christ's death to save us from sin, of God giving his son to darkness and separation from him so that we can have communion with him forever And starting now. And once again, we are fortunate 
as we contemplate the horror, the horror that we can hardly bear to think about of the cross and of that separation. And our hearts are broken again with thankfulness for what he's done for us. We are fortunate that we have the writing of John the Revelator as he talks about the praise at the final triumph. And let's turn to that together. It's Revelation 19, verses 6 and 7. Revelation 19, 6 and 7. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. That's praise we want to enter into. That's praise we want to be a part of to savor love, the love that Jesus showed throughout his life, that he personified to show us what God the Father is really like, that love prevails, love wins. Calvin Miller describes the life and work of Jesus in a narrative poem called The Singer. And there's one part of it that when Jesus has a dialogue with the Prince of Darkness, He's known as the world hater in this narrative. And the singer proclaims, I'll bring my song against your hate, against the bonds of human sins, and human tears will all subside when the ancient star song wins. To him who is able to keep you from falling, and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen.